In today's episode of VFM, we're talking to industry legend and anti-scams champion Margaret Snowden about what value for money means to her. Welcome to the 39th episode of VFM, the Pensions Podcast. And as always, I couldn't be happier to be joined by my co-host, the one and only Nico (laughs) Aspinall. Hello. Hello, everybody. And uh, delighted as ever to be with you, my co-host, Darren Phil. Uh, Darren, uh, how's the pain in the neck, the pain in the mouth, the pain in the shoulder, I think it was, that you related to us last week? I'm, I'm, I'm on good form. I'm on good form. So I managed to get a dentist appointment, had my tooth filled. Yeah, awesome. which was which was good. Um and um yeah. Oh, yeah. Also uh yeah, um shoulder is um is sorted. Um I'm just back uh from, from Manchester from the PLSA um, yes. annual conference, which was which was good. I think I saw some of your colleagues up there, Nico, which was which was really nice. Excellent. But um yeah, lovely to catch up with lots of industry people. And, you know, like I'd, I'd go as far as saying the VFM podcast was a bit of a talk of the town, uh, which, was, <laughs> which, was, which, was, which was quite nice. Um, you know, or maybe not, depending on your point of view. Um, but anyway, um, anyway, I'm talking, you know, I'm, I'm jabbering as usual. So, um, Margaret, um, fantastic that you've joined us today. Um, your LinkedIn profile says that you're a pensions professional, trustee, experienced chair, non-executive director and policy advisor so you certainly do lots of stuff and i would add to that industry legend so welcome welcome to the podcast thanks very much i I always think legend probably means old um and and actually i I do begin to feel my age um which is absolutely terrible um but, um, but yeah thanks thanks for having me on it's um it's a real pleasure Really, really delighted to have you on. And um, so I, I wasn't at the PLSA, but I understand you weren't at the PLSA either. No, I wasn't. Uh, I, I was um, sort of chasing lines of a different sort. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, just, just back from um, a, a break in uh, South Africa. Ah. And um, so, so that was that was kind of exciting and uh, sort of, uh, as I say, sort of. Uh, life being red and tooth and claw which reminds mm. me also better pensions um <laughs> lots of predators out there you know i could i could go on um you have but, to stalk yeah, your prey <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and uh, but but yeah it does it does remind you um of what's kind of important in life mm. um and you know you you see you know real poverty and you see people who are you know trying their best to to make a difference in the world and mm. uh, you know, it's it's good for the soul. Um, mm. You know, to be honest, although I must say, um, having an elephant fart in your face um, <laughs> from about two feet away is is actually one of those life experiences that you don't get in pensions. Well, <laughs> no, I could, I won't go there, but but yeah, it um, it makes um, it makes life quite um, quite interesting actually. <laughs> and and you were telling me now this um, sort of park you were in. Yeah, and um, didn't have any fences or anything, so yeah. you were really intermingling with the animals and that, weren't you? Yeah, no, it was um, it was quite it was quite incredible actually, and uh, you know, strangely, you don't feel scared 
um, because you know the animals aren't really interested in you; they're interested in impala, um, mm. and impala wander past your deck, um, and you know leopards and lions pursue them. So, so I've got some some pretty good film of a leopard um, stalking um, anyala, um, sort of literally about twenty feet. Uh, away from me and um and it's it's quite it's quite something um mm. it, puts, it puts the whole world into perspective um, so darren you were watching uh the sales teams of various businesses stalking their prey in manchester there's an analogy to be uh struck there isn't there Nico? <laughs> i uh i didn't feel too there wasn't too much fear of missing out uh for me being down in london um uh, I sort of thought I'd have a quiet week with everyone up in Manchester, but that wasn't the case at all. Um, but the funniest thing was, is, I think it was Tuesday that everyone was going up mm. um, and LinkedIn was just filled with people on trains. Going, <laughs> I am on my way to Manchester for the PLSA. It's like, oh, that's such great con- content, guys. That's such yeah. great content. Oh, um, and I've just done my sort of social media and LinkedIn training uh, here for, for Newton and uh, just there is something about trying to create interesting content which the pensions industry failed i'm afraid Mm -hmm. to say Mm -hmm. um but uh, i was going to mock it more visibly on linkedin but i thought i'd do that on the podcast save it for the podcast (laughs) (laughs) darren i didn't i don't think you posted to say that you were traveling up i didn't know no i I was i was was quite quiet actually um yeah i it it was a good conference it was was a good, good conference i enjoyed it but for me, it's about the networking. Mm. And I think that just bumping into so many people, especially in the sort of post-COVID world, um, people you haven't seen for years, and just sort of reconnecting with people was just was just fantastic. Yeah. And that's and that's what it's really, really good for, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so, you know, back on it now. Back on it now. So uh, we start with the news. Uh, and Margaret, guests, prerogative, what, what have you brought in for us to discuss? We're well, not expecting. We're not expecting you to have your finger on the pulse, by the way. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I the... certainly don't. Although I, 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 I look at, um, I look at the the news, and I think, I think changes. You know, mm-hmm. we've got these initiatives that um, come up, and thought, well, I've been around a long time, and and honestly, I've heard them before. Um, mm. You know, so so you think, oh, there's nothing. There's nothing really new, and um, and it's kind of disappointing as well because some of the things that are now coming out as Rizzo um, ideas, you think, yeah, I've been talking about them for quite a long time, <laughs> mm. and it's just not been getting traction, um, mm. and that's probably because of me. But nevertheless, you know, I think, you know, crikey, consolidation. I mean, I've been talking mm. about consolidation since 2012. Um, and, you know, we get we get Nausicaa, you know, on saying this is the next big thing. Well, it could have been a big thing years and years ago. But, yeah. but anyway, that's that's life, isn't it? But, mm. but I thought I, I would do um, something different, not not entirely news, although new, Um which is the Pensions Advice Task Force, which um, mm. I've just um, set up. Um, and it's it's been set up under the Consumer Duty Alliance. Um, and the reason for doing it is to, uh, once again, try and improve the standard of advice and guidance mm. um, available to people. But but more importantly, it, it was to look at this thing that everybody talks about, you know, the advice gap. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and actually... 
you know, I've been thinking about it quite hard. And, you know, there isn't there isn't necessarily an advice gap, but there's certainly a demand gap mm. um, because people don't really trust advisors and you can't be surprised um, and advisors are declining not just yep. because they're getting older which of course they are but it's not the most exciting profession because it just gets lambasted um, all the time um, so, so people don't take advice um, and you know I, I get quite frustrated by this great barrier which comes up saying, oh, well, you can't you can't give people advice, you can't give them guidance, you can't give them help, because that's the preserve of regulated financial advisors. Um, and actually, that's not what the vast majority of people need. Yeah. They, need they need something else. They need to understand, they need to make good choices. But, you know, this barrier um, is just not acceptable. So, so what the Pensions Advice Task Force um, is doing is, um, is building a framework that said this is what people need throughout their sort of life events. Um, and this is where they can get help. And the, the focus has to be on help rather than on advice. Um, and Everybody's now beginning to to dabble a little bit in this space. We've got the FCA looking at the advice guidance boundary, mm. and we've got um, sort of TPR sort of about this as well. We've got DWP um, sort of looking at what guidance is going to look like. We'll get maps um, starting a new strategy. So everybody's everybody's in this space, but what's happening is well, very little. Yeah, uh, and people are still confused. So, so trying to create a framework that you know says where people you know need to get help and how they can get it, and then get the industry to look at how they can deliver some of that help, uh, because yeah. I think that's the answer to the advice gap. It's not to force everybody down into regulated advice mm. and not to get hung up about you know who is on the hook for any help that's given. You know, that's so negative um, yeah. for, for the industry and for people. Um, so it drives them into the arms of scammers. Mm, and it, yeah. it drives them down the pub to talk to Joe. Um, <laughs> and Joe knows less about it than everybody else. So, so, so we're trying to say this is what the industry could do um, and get some real initiatives going to drive better help and better guidance and better support. And, and the whole point is... Um, is to give you know consumers confidence um, mm. and you know build a little bit of trust and it's easier to say and we'll talk about engagement but we make it too hard we make it too complicated yeah. um, so this is all about um, you know giving them confidence to to know that it's okay to ask for help um, and confidence to know that they're not going to have to pay five thousand pounds out of you know their very thin wallet. Um, yeah. To be able to get some some decent um, support, so so trying to trying to do that, um, and then we'll be defining some um, standards as we did before, with um, the first uh, pensions advice task force, which looked at a gold standard for DB transfers. And um, oh, Darren's phone's going. Um, so uh, I, I, what about the sort of supply side? So obviously a lot of. Uh, people's DC pensions will be in trust, potentially in mm -hmm. master trusts. Yeah. Um, 
a lot of trustees are not willing to whether you know they can't give advice but they might yeah. do a bit more shaping yeah um and particularly in you know post-retirement they might be um uh, in some way adjusting for returns and the amount of income that's paid or mm -hmm. thinking about when an annuity or slices of an annuity might be bought but the trustees aren't sort of able willing mm -hmm. you know do we need safe harbors how do we how do we get that side of the the kind of market just helping people a bit more yeah and we need to open it up um mm. and you know as i said before we've we've got this huge barrier that says only certain people um are able to give advice which is fine um where you're looking at full-blown financial advice with all the jeopardy that that brings along but you know to be honest even having the best financial advisors in the world they don't know the future they don't know what's really going to happen so you know they put themselves in harm's way they find it very difficult to get insurance so we have fewer mm. and fewer people who are able to do that and we've got an army of very qualified people who talk to members every day yeah, yeah. And I mean administrators and you know we were chatting earlier and, and you were saying you know how about the administration angle well you know in in something like 2012 2013 um i looked at developing a qualification for administrators not because i think they needed it um, but because I think the public and particularly the regulators needed it um, mm. to know that administrators, you know, wouldn't be creating havoc. Um, but, you know, it's it's just so hard to get something like that off the ground. So PMI have that qualification and mm. it's a qualification in scheme member guidance. Um, it does what it says on the tin. Right. But it's not recognised um, and right. we still have this if 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 advice is given by financial advisors, we're quite happy because somebody has to pay. Um, mm -hmm. If advice is given by maps or money wise or whatever, it's so generic that nobody, you know, gets in into trouble. You know, right. <laughs> um, but you know, if you put somebody in the middle who can talk to an individual about the individual's problems, we start to think maybe they're giving them advice. And we need to stop that nonsense right. yeah, um, yeah. because people need help. So we've got a, a whole army of people who could help people with their choices. Um, and we completely ignore it because we're, we're too snooty. Um, mm. And we don't think those administrators are actually skilled. Well, well I, I, I and risk averse, maybe, right? Well, I think, um, yeah. well, but that's the problem. We're, we're, mm. we're putting, we're seeing risk everywhere and we're trying to avoid it. When yeah. you know living is a risk, being so poor you can't afford to eat is a horrible yes. risk, and it's very very real. Um, and 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 I think the industry has so many skilled people that could do what they're really fundamentally there to do, which is help ensure that people can get a decent um, outcome for mm. their retirement. And I think that also mm. involves helping them to understand what they've got helping them to understand what they need and helping them to understand how they might get there. And it's not about guarantees. It's not about that. It's about somebody with a bit more knowledge helping you to understand something. Mm. 
So, so just on that risk point, yeah, because yeah. I've got a view that ultimately the FCA um, always regulates for the worst possible scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so worried, and you can understand why, but it's so worried about something going wrong. Yeah, yeah. And we've mm-hmm. had so many scandals yeah, yeah. and so yeah. many um, things that have happened and the regulators have been caught napping. There's no other yeah. way to describe it. Yeah. But is that... Do you or do you think that that is stopping? You know, are we in a situation where the best is the enemy of the good on this? Yeah, yeah. Um, that ultimately we're we're so focused on um, managing that, you know, one in a hundred event risk that mm-hmm. it means that you know mm-hmm. people are just aren't getting that help support. Yeah. Um, so if you if you've got a regulator who's who's doing that, then is it surprising that the compliance teams and the schemes and the providers? obviously taking a, a risk-averse approach as well. Mm. Yeah, and, and they do, and uh, and I fully understand it because there's nothing worse than you get pasted by um, a regulator and you get fined. Um, that is no fun. But, you know, I, I think sometimes you've got to take a little step back um, and think where the risk really is. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of my pet hates is regulators of all stripes who get very close to a lot of big players. Um, and, and actually what they're doing is regulating the good. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, and it's quite nice to do that because the good guys comply, the good guys listen to what you say with great fear sometimes um, mm-hmm. and do what you say. Um, but yet there's a whole raft underneath that who don't give a toss. Um, and you know they're just not really being regulated so so i think we we shouldn't we shouldn't obsess about regulating people who already do the right thing um and trying to make them even better when you know 50 percent of the the population are you know at the hands of less expert people yeah Mm. So I, 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 we should move on, but I want to introduce one concept, um, which is called safetyism. So there's a professor at Oxford called Paul Collier, mm-hmm. um, and it, safetyism is essentially um, the uh, bureaucratization of risk, um, mm-hmm. which actually leads you to take more risk. Um, and his classic example is that I think his sort of 90-year-old father fell down in the house and um, I think fractured his hip or something like that mm-hmm. um, and uh, he and his 89 year old mother were essentially the council turned up at the house and said you can't look after each other you need to go into a home mm-hmm. and they were dead within three months um, yeah. and so you know this sort of possibly quite sensible kind of mini case study of potential harm from his father breaking his hip became into this maxi case study of harm from the kind of actions that the council took essentially to protect itself and not really thinking about um, the parents. So yeah, safetyism is this sort of broad uh, kind of concept. And I think we see it in a lot of different places. If you think about DB funding, um, you know, we've essentially killed the DB industry by, by uh, having a very risk averse definition of, of, of funding risk um yeah. we can all think of many other examples but yeah so paul collier i think he's got a full book on it uh-huh. um um so yeah worth checking out he certainly there's a there's a very good economist article that he wrote on it oh that's great because I've, I've learned something i've never heard of it <laughs> but um but i can totally 
relate to it. And um, you know, I, I won't I won't nag on about the the, <laughs> the demise of the uh, of the super fund, which I thought was a a great solution to try and preserve the the life of DB because I think DB is great because it it does actually give more guaranteed outcomes. But mm. uh, but yeah, safety is absolutely right. Fear of failure. Is so damaging. It uh, means you don't you don't really innovate, um, and we need to innovate. And you know this industry is well, it's 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 a great industry, but it's so far behind other industries um, that it's it's old fashioned. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be, and and we debate things for such a long time. Yeah, you know, I yeah. can't believe how long it's taken, um, you know, to get to saying, for example, now super funds are great because maybe they could invest in the economy. Well, we've got <laughs> billions in pensions, and we could have been encouraging pensions for years to invest in the economy, but we go we launch from caution. You know, to you must only invest in gilts and yada yada. Um, to oh wow, now you need to invest in all these exciting things to get. That's um, that's that's a really good segue to my story. So so oh, maybe I, I can I can I can jump in there. So um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I had a better segue, Nico. Uh, Did you go on? What's your segue? Go on. Well, no, because we were talking about regulation. Yeah, and my oh, new okay. story we was will, from well, segue from yours. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's an article in Professional Pensions and TPR to become more assertive in bid to protect savers. Um, the CEO uh, of TPR, Nor. Norsica Delfas sets out a plan to drive meaningful behaviour change among trustees. So I think this partly goes to some of the points you were making, Margaret, in mm. terms of, um, you know, we've been talking about consolidation. We've been talking about better regulation for so long. Um, and, you know, in her speech, according to the reporting by professional pensions, you know, talking about the land, pensions landscape involved, evolving, we need to harness innovation, you know, and basically signalling a change of focus for TPR, which we all know has been coming. Mm-hmm. You know, historically, our focus has been on guiding schemes and employers towards compliance, mm-hmm. but they're going to be setting clearer expectations, will be more assertive, um, testing our powers to ensure savers are protected. So I think, um, you know, this is all good stuff. Yeah. Um, some might argue better late than never. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, I've I've always had the view of TPR that they've probably got more powers than they think they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they're taking cases, again, it comes back to this risk averseness point. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you lose court cases. Yeah. Um, if you lose court cases because the legislation isn't perfect, then that by losing that case, you can then um, go to the sponsoring department, DWP, and saying, look, our powers aren't enough to deliver this outcome that you want mm-hmm. us to. And and I think that, you know, there's got to be less risk averseness from the regulator in, in, in fully testing its powers. So I was glad that and the CEO said that. Um, I think um, the, 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 the timing of these remarks is quite interesting because we've got the, the you know, the VFM consultation. We've got all various other consultations um, that, that we're expecting the government to respond to. Um, and we've also got the Queen's speech coming up 
um, which mm. sets out the legislative and, and the autumn statement <laughs> and the autumn statement. So all of this is going to be, you know, come together in, uh, you know, a policymakers or, or policy wonks dream. Um, so, <laughs> so, so it's phases like this that I live for, Nico. Here, here. <laughs> I know you um, do. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, you know, I need to get out more. Um, <laughs> But the, what was I going to say? But 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 I think you know these these remarks that are made now, you know, could be a bit of an indication that mm. um, you know we might get a pensions bill, you mm-hmm. know, we might have something that um, you know gives the TPR a bit more power to actually act as a regulator of teeth. So yeah, all, all good stuff. Um, and um, the article also talks about enabling effective competition in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you drive that competition, especially among smaller employers when it comes to DC and Mars Trust, is an interesting question. But also, and you'll be really interested in this, Margaret, given um, what you just said, um, Delfast also spoke about how TPR is working to foster the emerging super fund market. You know, we want to <laughs> we want to work with the industry to bring safe super funds to the market, and we expect trustees to have more consolidation options open to them. Mm. Um, so, so again, you know, um, the right words, um, but we've been talking for super, about super funds for a while now. We've only got <laughs> one set up. And I think they announced at the PLSA that, um, you know, they're expecting to have something like 10,000 members within that yeah. super fund by the end of the year. Yeah, that's a good thing. But, you know, should it be more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I mean, it is interesting. And I, I do love um, the rhetoric. I think it's absolutely right. Um, but I have heard it before. Um, the number of times I've heard the regulator say they really do support super funds, mm. um, but then deny um, super funds entry. And, you know, mm. when you take years to approve something, you know, that, that's just not what you, you don't you don't innovate that way. Um, yes, of course, I'm bitter and twisted about um, a super fund not coming to the market. But it does it does annoy me um, to talk about we need competition. Yeah, but you stifle it, you know, because you're you're a bit afraid. So, so yeah, I think the rhetoric is absolutely right. Yeah. I do think it is important. I think super funds um, do offer something, as do capital back journey plans. Um, you know, it's bringing fresh capital into pensions to plug gaps. But we we've got this strange um, position now that everything's they're um, they're overfunded. Um, right. which yeah. you know I, I remember the days when you know schemes were overfunded and then we completely mucked it up um, we gave contribution holidays um, to employers and then we had underfunding and you know I, I just think we're doing this lurching from one thing to another and it, yeah. it does it mm. does annoy me that um, I'm, I'm annoyed all the time at the moment <laughs> you are aren't you you need, to, you need to go you need to go stalking leopards a lot more uh, Mrs. <laughs> I'm, I'm angry um, or whatever but um, but yeah I, I, there, there's so much opportunity um, and so much opportunity to make sure that people get a good income in retirement. Mm. I mean, it's a it's a rich um, industry, um, but we're not focused enough on the customer. And and you know, consumer duty comes in. Well, it's in now, um, mm. and I see such a huge difference because I also work in the insurance 
um, sector. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I see a huge difference in behaviour because of consumer duty, because it hits some companies in the pocket. Um, and, and I see banks scrambling right. to do the right thing by their customers. Um, and, you know, everybody thought banks were probably doing the right thing. Well, maybe not. But but to see the change, the sea change in behaviour from chief executives is quite phenomenal. Mm. Now, I mm. think we've missed an opportunity by not putting consumer duty in to trust-based schemes as well. Um, and I hear mutterings um, from the regulator side that, yeah, that's going to come. But what an opportunity to miss. You know, the biggest the biggest change to focus on customers um, and we pass it by and we, again, focus on the trustees. So um, I, I can't pass that by. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> just, so, so just as a trustee, I guess, is there a difference between master trusts and single employer trusts in terms of the sort of self-visioning of the trustee in that? So, so it, it, in my mind, you know, trust law is very clear. It's actually a higher standard than consumer duty. We had this argument um, last week. Yeah, we case. did, we did, we did. But, yeah. but obviously in master trusts, um, you know, there's essentially there's a private provider and a profit motive mm -hmm. um, and that relationship between this sort of voice of the member and the the need for there to be a commercial viability to the proposition yeah. um, and the reality of it being quite difficult to develop as you're also, uh -huh. you know, they're sort of trying to build a plane whilst they're sort of in the air. Right. So um, <laughs> um, there's there's lots of stuff going on in provider land. Um, and then there's also a regulatory post bag which applies yeah. to both sides, which which uh, is, is kind of mad. Um, but, you know, is it master trust that is particularly failing on that sort of consumer duty standard? Or do you think there is a there's a sort of broader problem with trusts and trusteeship, which kind of needs that called out? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting point. Um, I, I don't actually see a massive difference between a master trust and a, and a single employer trust. Um, and I don't see a big difference between those trustees. Um, but you're right, there is a commercial element. But I, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a bit unusual, but I don't think it's wrong to make money from doing something that's good. Um, and somehow we think trustees are there as, as angels um, and, <laughs> and they're not. Um, they do exactly the same things. In fact, a lot of trustees are actually commercial animals themselves. You know, so, mm -hmm. so, so we've just got this kind of strange, you know, view that we think trust is is like the nice world, um, and the contract world is quite different. Um, and and as I said earlier, I deal with insurance company as well as um, you know, sort of on the trust side. And the language is still very similar. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. um, but one thing, and I'll go back on to super funds um, again, but um, one thing that I found quite offensive um, about the regulator stand on super funds was talking about profit extraction. Um, and that's like, you know, so pejorative. And it's actually um, saying it's really a sin if you make money from you know a pension scheme um, and I think well that's a bit crazy because you know lawyers make a lot of money consultants make a lot of money actuaries make a lot of money investment managers make a lot of money um, but yet suddenly 
when it became a super fund, anybody putting money in had to almost give up any chance of making any money from it. Um, now, they're not charities um, and, you know, investors aren't charities, but there is a way to make money and do it fairly and yeah. ensure yeah. that members get what they're entitled to. Um, and we've, we've kind of lost sight of that somehow. Mm. It's an interesting one, isn't it? And I, I, I do think that the, 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 the relationship between the, the trustees and the, the sponsor, mm. yeah, in a, in a commercial environment, is very different to that single empl employer trust environment. Mm. And we obviously had master trust authorization, which mm. um, picked up on some much needed uh, regulatory barriers to entry. Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that these um, these these new master trusts weren't, you know, total rip-off merchants. Um, but I don't think enough thought has necessarily been given to the fundamental relationship between that sort of trust-based model, yeah, and how it sits with that commerciality, mm -hmm. um, just because of the history of trust and where the industry's come mm -hmm. from. We've almost got accidental master trusts, yeah, mm -hmm. which, have, which have been brilliant to, yeah. to help deliver auto-enrollment. And potentially it's a good model. But I do remember seeing um, Steve Webb speak in the early days of auto-enrollment. And he was like, well, basically, you know, it's, it's not quite the same as your plane analogy, uh, Nico. But it's like, you know, the we're, we're still laying the auto-enrollment and pensions track. And right. The train has already left the station, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that's and that's the world we're in. Yeah. Um, should we um, should we move on to my story? I'm going to I'm going to try and re segue back. Uh, from from uh, safetyism and uh, kind of risk aversion in our industry. Yeah, so I picked up the story from RF. So that's the Association of Real Estate Funds, um, essentially asking um, uh, the government not to impose 90-day lockup periods on open property funds um, uh, unless and until they have enabled essentially DC schemes to invest in the liquids and they suggest mandating platforms um, to, to be able to do non-daily trading. Um, so this goes back to a couple of things. Um, so, so one is obviously there are open property funds. Every so often the property market um, has a paroxysm um, and uh, people try and take their money out and these funds gate. Um, and <clears throat> stop those members from, you know, uh, well, there the, the may be no cash left, um, but uh, obviously it takes time to sell a building. So there is this sort of liquidity mismatch or risk um, in, in that kind of space. And so the redemption, uh, the remediation that the uh, FCA proposed was to put this sort of 90-day uh, redemption notice period um, onto, onto these funds. Um, in the meantime, obviously, we had the long-term asset funds initiative, which um, has, I think, taken off as much as it's likely to, is the sort of unpolite version of it. So lots of <laughs> lots of uh, seed clients getting good discounted rates, um, but few follow-up clients willing to pay for those seed clients. Um, and uh, still, massive lock-up redemption terms uh, on those funds. Um, and then also then uh, essentially the death of the investment trust market um, by the FCA's heavy handed pulling up of costs um, from uh, the essentially the listed security of the investment trust into the wrapper that holds it in the OCF. Um, so essentially you're seeing 
the government having these policy initiatives around things like the mansion house and investment in illiquids, mm-hmm. um, and then the regulators making that impossible, and indeed forcing people who are already invested in illiquid assets to sell them. Um, and uh, so RF um, and uh, Paul Richards is the CEO there, calling this out. Um, and I think trying to call it out ahead of the autumn statement um, and trying to see whether, um, you know, there might be something on this from the Chancellor. But yeah, I, you know, this sort of investment safetyism and liquidity risk um, <clears throat> is just, it's just mad, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you've got a 40 year lockup with a pension, but we have to be able to sell it all tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that's, that's what's missing. Um, everything's become very short term. Um, and we're too afraid, I think, sometimes to look far ahead, and we need to. And and you know the the fact that we're we're now we now openly talk about the demise of DB, um, mm. and I think that's a shame because because what that means is we we've become even shorter term in our outlook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know I, I don't I don't see how that's actually good. For the economy either um, to have that, and you know, as, as we've said, we, we've got this kind of mismatch, you know, between the desire to invest in more risky assets um, and regulated aversion to the whole principle, and yes. it's almost like we're now just going to do a quick about face, and suddenly what was anathema is now you know desirable, um, and people just don't really feel safe. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, you know we've uh, we've talked about it before, but the you don't have to go back that far in history when it was all about costs and charges, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and nothing else actually matters, yeah. Um, and I'm you know being a d- deliberately provocative there, but pretty much all the policy statements was we need to sort of stop these rip-off pensions, we need to introduce charge caps, we need to yeah. have cost transparency over transaction costs, all good yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, but now the the agenda has flipped, and we all yeah. know why. And yeah. and I think a lot is being driven. A lot of pensions policy decision making is being driven by the productive finance agenda, mm-hmm. and and policy decisions are being made through that lens, mm-hmm. as opposed to okay, fundamentally, what is in the members' best interest here. Yeah. 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 And I think that is a that is dangerous territory to get into. I think it is, and um, you know, much as I much as I liked what the Chancellor was saying um, in the Mansion House, I, I, I just thought it was, it was the motivation was different from mm. what was actually being expressed. And um, you know, while I, I totally agree that you know trustees, you know, as well as you know, insurers <clears throat> should be able to, you know be a little bit more thoughtful in what they do and thinking about the risks and justifying what they do rather than all falling into the same, you know, model of the same pot. Um, you know, I, th- I think, you know, the, the, there is room for a bit of flair. There is room for a bit of risk taking, but it should be done for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worry that we'll suddenly, you know, have a great rush into, into you know, things that people don't understand. Um, and you know, I still haven't seen any definition that says what, what does it mean to invest in the UK economy. 
um, uh-huh. <laughs> because if you invest, you invest in, you know, usual sort of listed um, assets. They're doable. You know, they're yep. not UK specific. In fact, we've given away a lot of the family silver. Um, so, you know, what does it mean? You know, and um, who who can actually take the risk? You know, yep. of investing in a, in a very small startup. Well, and, and, and so just coming back to the story, um, uh, you know, here is a sector which you can invest in the UK. You can you can mm-hmm. go and buy bricks and mortar. Yeah. Um, but that cost and charges narrative, you know, meets the reality of it not being clear um, why a cost of a fund which is wrapped in one particular way is very real, but the cost of a fund wrapped in a different way is is 100% free. Yeah. Yeah. So when you think about, you know, uh, the uh, kind of equity dilution that the uh, senior executives and boards of listed companies get, you know, that can easily be running past the kind of fees that a fund investing mm-hmm. in the same businesses would charge. But you don't put the Barclays uh, kind of share option plan <laughs> and dilution Correct. of equity Correct. into the fund route. You don't put Warren Buffett's uh, management cost into the into the fund wrap because those are both listed companies. Yeah. Um, uh, but you do put the costs of managing properties in an investment trust mm-hmm. into the fund wrap. And yeah. so, you know, the sort of dancing on the head of a pin discussions result in us divesting from the UK economy. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, and so the sort of joined upness of these complex topics meeting these, you know, unsophisticated politicians um, who kind of want clean narratives. Of course, everybody thinks that it's a bad thing to pay more uh, inter alia. You know, if we're getting the same products, then I should definitely have the one which is cheaper. Um, but that's, that kind of hides so much complexity that I think it, it's uh, beyond the poor brains of politicians in most cases mm-hmm. um, to, to actually kind of talk sensibly about and maybe beyond uh, the democracy that we have to to kind of vote for um but uh yeah so we have these sort of knee-jerk um clear-cut statements which are utterly meaningless or potentially going in the opposite direction Correct. Yeah. So when we were doing our pre-call, we thought that it might be a shorter news section um, <laughs> this week uh, because Margaret has been on our travels. But I think this has been the record one. So um, so I'm going to sort of call time on this yeah, yeah. and um, ask Margaret, how did you get into pensions? Tell us um, a bit about yourself. Well, I've, I've been around for such a long time. I've almost um, how how I actually um, got in the first place. But but basically, um, I did um, postgrad research into retirement counselling, um, okay. and you know the impact of pre-retirement education on longevity and quality of life in retirement. I mean, that sounds absolutely brilliant. Forty years ago, I thought it was great. It still hasn't really been done, um, yeah. but but um, but because well, to be honest. Even even then, as now, pensions weren't very sexy. Um, people, you know, weren't very interested in pensions, a bit boring. So so I, I ran out of funding, so I had to find a job. So I um, I found um, a job where I could do some of my, carry on some of the research I was doing, which was um, talking to people about their retirement and you know I was a I was a psychologist um so I, I 
talked a lot about mental well-being in retirement, mm. and um, and which is a bit rich at age 22 or 23. <laughs> but, but nevertheless, I was quite bold and brassy. But um, but um, I, I got a chance to do some of that with Aon. Um, it was actually mm. Alexander's at the time, but they became Aon, and they were they were actually a little bit ahead of their time um, and thinking some of these some of these thoughts. So I did that, but I couldn't do that all day every day. So I got the choice, um, you know, did I want to become an actuary or did I want to become an administrator? Um, and I'd just done five years at uni, <laughs> um, you know, poor as a church mouse. And um, the, the last thing um, I wanted was another eight years of study. So I decided to become an administrator. And actually, um, I discovered that I actually loved it. I loved talking to people. I loved, you know, getting sums right. Um, I loved being able to, you know, make a difference. Um, and so I, I, I stuck with it and just went through the through the ranks. But um, in those days, um, you know, a lot of work was pretty manual. Um, I, I started I started my career after after doing the stint with um, Alexander. I um, I worked for um, Noble Lounge, um, mm-hmm. and they're the they, they were the training centre. Um, so you know most of the experts um, today, I think, have a grounding in in Noble Lounge where you got to know everything. But um, but I just I just loved it, um, and I could work a calculator like nobody else. You know, <laughs> I, and my fingers were a black. Um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a calculator, not an abacus. It was a calculator. Oh, it, was more than it wasn't abacus, thank you very much. Um, but, but, you know, to be honest, Noble Lounge was one of the first companies to computerise. Um, mm. And it had computers more for the sort of the Hill Samuel side, but they had done computers from the 1950s. Um, so they, they were a bit mainframe and a bit old fashioned and everything. But nonetheless, it was computerised. But most of the calculations and things haven't changed, but most of the calculations were manual mm. and um, and everything was checked. And I must admit, in those days, I could spot a mistake at 50 yards, um, <laughs> which you know, nobody can do now because computer says whatever it is. But um, but it was it was real fun, and I got to um, to work with um, lots of really good people, um, and and also you know dealing with members, and um, I haven't looked back. But I um I, I varied what I did quite a bit, and um, so I, I actually became a professional trustee before the role was invented. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, Noble Lounge set up this thing called Guardian Trustee, which was there to guide trustees to help them, you know, make the right decisions, um, sit in and trustee board meetings and add expertise. And now that's become a, a big thing uh, in its own right. But um, but I, I was, you know, part of the early days of that. But um, particularly, uh, I think I became the youngest um, administration manager, um, you know, about the age of 25 or something. And in those days, you know, it was years under your belt that counted. So so I ruffled a few feathers um, from the outset <laughs> by being the youngest and, and now probably the oldest administrator in town. But um, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, you know, I, I really had some, some great fun and um, got a chance to do consulting. Mm. 
and um, you know through various acquisitions and things, I I ended up with um, with Mercer, with Watsons, you know. So so I, I did my time in, in some of the big guys, and um, I did a bit of HR um, systems consulting as well. So so fairly fairly rounded, which. I think it gives me license to interfere in so many things <laughs> um, nowadays. But um, but yeah, it's taken rough with the smooth. You know, done some done some things that I thought were great. Um, found myself blocked in a lot of things. Um, I, I I do remember once quite vividly because now people talk about Me Too moments and mm. um, you know how hard it was being a woman. Um, I didn't think it was hard at all being a woman, but um, I'm probably the only um, senior consultant who was asked to prostitute herself for the company because this big client really wanted to take me to you know some exotic locations and have a nice time. Oh, and no. um, I was I was better looking when I was younger, I have to say. But um, but you know, I, I got no support from my employer who, who just thought well you know that's what it takes to wow. you know keep a big account that's what you do I thought, no, I mean. hell no I don't so yeah. um so I moved on to you know a more professional um outfit from that but but yeah no I think I've been there done most things and um seen changes and things seen things cycle round about and um, I get involved in one of the first money purchase schemes Ever, um, which is interesting, um, and then you know now we've seen the reversal, and you know DC is bigger than DB. But um, I did actually catch um, a piece saying that um, you know maybe DB's on the the march again, and and perhaps we'll see more DB schemes um, forming up. I think that's really because we've seen surpluses and people are now attracted to it. But um, but yeah, it's interesting how things cycle round about. If you just wait long enough. I think there was a session at the PLSA as to you know is it is it the time to consider um, reopening DB schemes? And I think. Um, you know, it's probably an actuarial firm or a firm of those actuaries <laughs> that um, are, the are running that session. So what about what about CDC in that that kind of space? Do you, do you, do you, do you hold out much hope for that, Margaret? No, no, not really. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, which I think is a shame, actually. Um, but we've just got so used to the idea that risk is in one place. And it's risk that's borne by an employer or it's Mm. risk that's borne by an insurance company or it's risk that's borne by an individual. Mm. Um, And trying to, you know, divide that up into shared risk is is quite hard. Um, And when you look at examples elsewhere, it's not all a bed of roses. It's fine when things are on the up, but when they're not, it's very difficult. But, But CDC, I think, is fair. Mm. Um, but we just, I think we don't know how to how to describe it very well, mm. Mm. and you know we get hung up on intergenerational unfairness, um, and you know we already have that, you know. So, yeah. so, so, so I, I think it's a great idea, I really do, um, but it's not going to save pensions. Uh, mm. I think that's the that's the honest truth. Yeah. 
So, so as well as, you know, a, a fantastic career um, on the work side of things uh, or the paid work side of things, you've also done lots and lots of really good industry stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Pensions Administration Standards Association. Yeah, yep. you, were, you were instrumental that, yes. in, in that. Yeah. yeah. And um, obviously you're probably best known at the moment for a lot of your work on scams. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, so so so. So, so what's been your driving force behind all of that? Why have you, why, why are you trying to shake this industry up? Mm. Um, I think it's because I deeply believe in fairness, mm. um, and and I really genuinely want people to have a decent um, standard of living and retirement. And that sounds all very noble, but there are there are quite a number of bad advisors round about. So I've I've kind of got into a lot of kind of space because of bad practice and trying to make it better because I've always believed that um, it doesn't cost any more to do something well yeah but yet people do it badly um, <laughs> so, so you know that's that's why I quite like standards and showing the way um, so uh, you know administration being my first home that's obviously where I start but um, but because I play in different spaces, um, you know, and, you know, insurance as well as um, sort of um, trust um, pensions. You know, I, I see practices different in different places and like to bring out the best um, in in both of them. So it all sounds very noble, um, but, but I just enjoy doing it. It's, it's worth getting out of bed for. Um, I get a bit tired of, you know, sometimes feeling that I'm doing a regulator's job. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm doing it for nothing. Um, and I think, you know, I, I could have been rich today if perhaps, first of all, if I'd become an actuary, then maybe. Um, but, um, yeah, I was waiting. Yeah. I was waiting to rebut the uh, the actuarial. Uh, you didn't quite give us a kicking, but uh, yeah. no, you, you, you definitely could have been rich, Margaret, if, uh, if been you're busy, an actuary. Yeah, yeah. So, so I've made all those wrong choices. All the, all the but, you know, I, I, sleep, I sleep well at night because I know I've made a difference. Mm. Um, and um, but, yeah, I, I do get a bit cross that you know my job as as somebody trying to make a difference is made hard because governments and regulators don't actually want to take responsibility um, don't actually want to move but um you know i'm, I'm trying at the moment with um pc a couple of things one i've um just written a report for government on on investment fraud, including pension fraud, which um, is quite hard hitting um, mm. because it says things like, um, you know, you we, we lose 137 billion um, a year on financial fraud, um, wow. and that's more than we pay in state pensions. And we're all excited about state pensions and whether the triple lock should should be. And I thought, stop sweating small stuff. You right. know, there's there's stuff you can do on fraud. So so I I really got a bee in my bonnet um, about some of that um, and about what's what happens to scam victims. Mm. Um, not a lot. They're left to their own devices um, to sink or swim. Mm. And uh, um, you know, so, so I've, I've just I've just kept plodding away, um, trying to make things um, a little bit better. Thorn in the, the side of, of some um, organisations, but um, but yeah, it, it it makes me feel kind of good about myself. Mm. Excellent, and um, and you've you've got an OBE for your yes uh, efforts, didn't you? 
I did. Yeah, and that's that's now going back. Uh, well, that was twenty ten. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've, I, I mean, I, I, I did quite a bit then because I did a lot with um, T Pass. Um, because I was the last volunteer chair of T Pass, um, and um, T Pass was under the cosh of it. You know, government thought it was maybe a waste of money. Um, so my job as, as chair was to um, make sure it could continue um, and to professionalise it a bit. Um, and I, I, I turned it around actually. And I mean, it's little known, but um, but I did a lot of a lot of work um, to make it what it is now. Um, and it's now part of Maps, but it's mm-hmm. it's kind of safe. So it has been split. Um, because TPAS was split into the the guidance piece and the disputes piece, and disputes piece went to TPO, and I'm still um, a, a TPO advisor, uh-huh. so I still I still do that, and and I run um, one of the one of the um, the teams um, to try and you know keep the standards up, but um, but yeah, it's it's um, I, I got a I got an OBE because I made a difference to pensioners, yeah. um, and you know I've been immensely proud of it, and that spurred me on I think to do a lot more. So now, you know, at least fifty percent of my time um, is spent on various initiatives, and um, I'm also not very good at saying no. So it's <laughs> That's why you're on the podcast, Margaret. <laughs> well, it, it could be, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't run fast enough to. But, um, but yeah, so, so I, I just, um, I just get involved, and um, I don't like to see things being, being done wrongly. Um, mm. So, so that's just me, I think. Do we? Do, I, I, you, you, you use the word noble a couple of times uh-huh. yeah. um and 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 I'm, I'm, i want to put an e in front of that so you know um did you think you'd ever sort of jump ship or if you had the opportunity to jump ship and, and maybe do something in terms of the legislature and you know seat in the house of lords mm-hmm. do you think that could ever happen um i, I honestly i would quite like to do it yeah uh, I think it'd be um, amazing. It mm. would it would give me a, a platform to really challenge um, and do stuff, but it's I, I'm very very unlikely to ever get there um, because I don't do some of the right things. <laughs> <laughs> this is your, don't, your, you don't your, donate to political parties. I, I, yeah, and maybe, maybe saying, if yeah. I become an actor in Richmond, then I'm like, <laughs> um, so, so who knows? But yeah, no, it's um, you know, and I must admit, I look at some of the people in the House of Lords and thought, what the hell, you know, yeah. you know, we could do with some some people who actually want to do something um, good, but um, but the current environment is not right. Um, for mm. that um mm. so so yeah while it would be quite nice and quite flattering um unlikely mm. well we should start a campaign nico shouldn't we we should i don't <laughs> know exactly campaign. who i need to campaign to <laughs> presumably keir starmer i guess there'll be a dissolution on a uh for um richie sunak when he uh presumably loses the next election so, yeah, well, so maybe well, that's... He's, he's he's refused twice to um to write to me when i um write to oh, no. uh, so well, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. My my chances are absolutely zilch there as well. Maybe you need to include a check in the envelope. Anyway, so exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> speaking of checks, <laughs> yes. Uh, what does what does value for money mean to you? Oh right, oh, right. yeah. I knew that was going to come up. Um, well, well, I'm Scottish. 
Um, so value for money, I think, is my watchword. Um, so it's something I've been conscious of, and you know, I, I didn't, I didn't start life, uh, you know, in any sort of privileged um, position. So, um, so I had to work hard for everything. Um, but value for money, um, I think it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's a lot to it, and, and I'm keeping it within the pension space um, at the moment. And you know, in in a personal sort of capacity, I would walk miles to get something that was slightly cheaper. Um, yes. You know, and you think, well, was that is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, but my God, you know, it's a lot of my time. Um, <laughs> but but I, I, I take you back to um, 2015. Um, and I was appointed to the first IGC um, that set up. It was it was actually Phoenix, mm. um, and Phoenix and other IGCs were were set up to provide value for money. Basically, um, it was an independent uh, committee, independent of the insurer, um, and and we had to work out how to do this and how to how to report to members um, and we wrote a terrific a terrific report very readable um, because we decided to write it for members and not for the FCA mm-hmm. um, we thought FCA understands all this we'll write it for members and we took a holistic view of value for money um, so what we did was we constructed um, a standard that said all of these things are important for value for money um, we started, we said investment performance is vital, mm. um, customer service and communication, vital, customer feedback and complaints, important, but the overall management and culture of the mm. business was important if you're going to get um, fair outcomes. Um, and also the availability of retirement options um, and designs to fit um, consumers. And lastly, charges and costs. And it was great because we went round, we scored everything, um, came up with, you know, red and amber and green uh, traffic lights. And, um, and it was great. And it was it was one that Henry Tapper, bless him, um, said was, was brilliant. So I thought, well, yes, it's great. Um, <laughs> and the FCA criticised us quite severely because apparently the answer to value for money in 2015 or 2016, as it was, um, was charges less than 1%. That was it. Nothing else mattered. And, you know, we were all pretty deflated. But Mm. actually, the industry is now moving um, back towards that more holistic view um, of value for money. So I feel feel kind of vindicated, but I think as with an awful lot of things, um, I was probably a little bit ahead of my time. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, uh, you know, it it all went towards charges for a number of years. Yeah, yeah. Um, And spoken about that before, you know, because that brings its own um, consequences. Mm. And so I, I, I wanted to just ask you about that governance and culture kind of point that you raise because mm-hmm. that that's obviously quite difficult to assess mm-hmm. um but at the same time vital so, so how did you do that is that still part of the kind of assessments that you do now it, it, it's it's part of it's now more firmly part of consumer duty 
Yeah. Um, and and you assess it first of all at the board level. Um, you assess it at the staff level by asking people for their thoughts and their views, um, and observing behaviour. Um, because it's it's amazing how many um, companies say that they're all about the customer, mm. but you sit in the boardroom and you listen to the dialogue, and it's all about money. It's all yeah. about profit. It's all about shareholders, um, and it's it's sometimes quite a difficult a difficult thing to juggle. But um, but I um, I tend to gravitate um, towards companies that do have a a positive culture, um, yeah. and if they don't live that culture, um, then I leave. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if I can't beat it, I don't join it. <laughs> and you know, have twice in my career left organisations because you know they didn't walk the talk. Mm, yeah. So I'm principled as well as noble. Yeah. No. Oh, perfect for the House of Lords, or <laughs> or like actually imperfect. Yeah. Oh dear. I will, I will look forward to that then. <laughs> so, so 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 what's your view on? you know, what the DWP are doing at the moment and their sort of overarching VFM framework. You know, like obviously we've, we've, we've talked a bit about these things going full circle. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like, yes, you're 100% right that a lot of the IGCs were looking at this mm-hmm. and creating frameworks for measuring this. Um, but, yeah, like, you know, do you think that the DWP stuff is going to move the dial? Um, you know, what's where, where do you think it's going? I think I think the problem is that we're just going to consult on it, discuss it until everybody gets bored, um, and then we'll probably come back to you know some benchmark that everybody's got to got to meet. But um, you know, I, I think it's it's quite possible to come up with a holistic. And benchmark, as I say, tried to do it in 2015. Mm. Um, but I think what you need is some independent assessment of mm. whatever you land on, um, because people don't trust in-house assessments. So there's this vague feeling that you're probably lying, um, and most people don't. But um, but there's still this this um, you know sort of perception. So so I think you need um, consistent benchmarks. You need benchmarks that are actually meaningful um, and measurable. Um, and as I say, independent assessment is is essential. And unfortunately, all of this costs money. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it ends up being money that, you know, doesn't go to the member or the consumer. And, you know, that, that doesn't sit well with me where, where you know, money is being spent on managing as opposed to being spent on outcomes. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. One of, one of the things I just wanted to mention, and I know we've we've gone over the hour now, so we're going to have to draw this over um, reasonably quickly. But how 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 do you develop a set of metrics mm. on the administration side <coughs> that are, are comparable, but also can move the dial? Because you know, I look at I look at what they what the consultation paper suggests, and it's a bit, huh? yeah. you know, kind of, so what? Um, 
So, so you know, given your experience on the administration side, given everything you've done with PASA, for example, to set mm-hmm. standards, you know, yeah. what would you like to see um, in that bit of the, the VFM framework? Yeah, well, what, what I don't uh, like to see and what I absolutely hate is turnaround times being used as a measure because that's just so fake um, and so pointless um, and you know we've we've got all sorts of difficulties at the moment with transfers um, whether it's DC or DB doesn't matter we've got the same kind of constraints um, and I think some of the thinking is a bit skewed um, you know, there's there's an initiative, um, you know, the, the, the STAR initiative um, at the moment, which is trying to speed up um, transfers and, mm. and have a consistent benchmark of, um, of how long it's taking, um, you know, to transfer benefits out. And everybody's, everybody's looking at this, you know, 11 days, you know, and actually we spend, and I'm, I'm part of that um, group, um, you'll not be surprised to hear, but um, I'm part of that group, and um, you know we discuss endlessly the little things that prevent you doing something very quickly, and what's right. allowed and what's not allowed. Um, and and I would I would ditch all of the timeframes and just say, do people get what they want? Are people getting a good outcome? Mm. Um, is it is it being done fairly? Is it being done well? Do people feel that they understand what they're doing? Um, and, and those things are quite hard to measure. Of course they are. But the more we engage with members, the more we'll actually appreciate um, their view. They don't care about pensions at the moment because we don't help them to care about pensions. So mm-hmm. I'd rather we were spending more time on you know, making sure that our customers understood what we're about and trust us. They trust scammers more than they trust um, pensions professionals. So I would, I would like you know more time being spent at the customer face, making sure that what they're getting is is what they need, um, and that means a lot of us have to work together rather than being in little silos, you know, mm. administrators or actuaries or whatever, we, we're kind of we're kind of missing the point that we're all mm. trying to end up with the same the same result, which is happy customers who feel we have done them a good service. Well, uh, what a fantastic place to 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 end. Um Thank you so much for coming on. That's been really, really interesting. Really good to to kind of hear your views and uh, chat to you for the last hour and a bit. Um, uh, so, so uh, Margaret, have you got uh, anything kind of coming up? Anything you want to kind of promote to us? Well, just um, I, I will be doing some um, some PR um, around the work I've been doing with the investment and fraud APPG. Mm. Uh, and the report um, to government. So there'll be a few bits and pieces coming out, and particularly around things like victim support, um, you know, for for scam and fraud victims. And we're not just looking at pension fraud, although that's my um, chief interest, but there are lots of other areas 
of investment where people are cheated. Um, yep. And what we found universally is that um, you know we, we, we're way behind the times. Um, and if if we look at what happens in Canada, what happens in the US, what happens in New Zealand, if somebody loses their shirt um, to an investment fraud, they get tax relief. Um, so that they can try and, you know, earn back some of those losses. Um, and again, in in those countries, you know, the the authorities go after the scammers and the fraudsters, um, yeah. and they're quite brutal. Um, yeah. And they take their assets. Whereas here, it's one in three thousand chance of a scammer being caught. Right. Uh, wow. And, you know, that's just appalling. So we, we write off um, fraud losses um, like it's just water. And um, and yet we make victims' lives quite uncomfortable. So, mm. so there'll be quite a bit coming out in that because it's been quite um, eye-opening. Um, mm. But we need to do better. Well, well let, us, let us know when it's out. I'm sure we'll mm-hmm. see it and we'll put it on our news item, yes. aren't we, Nick? Yes, yes, we can. We'll I, give it, I will yeah, be yeah. pleased to share all 30 pages of it. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Excellent. Uh, what are you up to, Darren? Um, recovering from PLSA. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to the weekend. So I'm one of the things I'm working on at the moment, um, kind sponsors of ours, uh, TG Publishing, who provide us with the pod when we're in person. We're obviously doing this virtually today, but I'm chairing their public-private pension summit um, that's mm. taking place at Penny Hill Park um, between the 21st and 23rd of November. So is that just trying to find as many P's as possible? There's a few there, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've, uh, Newton, we've got uh, a transition event that I'm uh, hosting, I think is the role that I've, uh, that they oh, say for yeah. me. Um, on the 28th of November, it's called the Leaves of Change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm spending my time working out tree puns. Um, so, um, yeah, <laughs> look at my LinkedIn. You'll see me occasionally oh, promoting yeah. that event with some, some tree jokes. So we do have two of the sessions. Uh, one is called uh, Seeing the Wood for the Trees um, and Turning Over a New Leaf. So we've, I've, I've, I think I've already captured the best ones, um, but I'm still trying all the worst ones on LinkedIn. Um, and um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really got a role, uh, but I will be going up to COP, uh, COP um, and Dubai in December um uh which will be interesting there's the world climate summit there which i think i will have a panel seat on um talking about biodiversity i think um so uh but apparently i get access to some of the kind of the real conference as well um so quite how much policy making i can kind of sit in um uh or sit above whilst they do the real job beneath me i don't know um but uh looking forward to that sounds like good fun yeah, I think like just like you're saying, getting in person to the to the PSA and sort of meeting the network. Um, it's obviously a very different network uh, in that kind of climate world. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to meeting some interesting people. Cool. So I think that brings today's fun to a close, doesn't it, Nico? It does. Yeah. So next week um, we have Will Martindale, who's just set up Canbury. Um, people might know him as uh, I think his job title was head of responsible investment for Cardano, mm. um, which he left over the summer to set up that that new consulting business. Um, and previously he I don't know what the job title was, but he was uh, very visible um, for the PRI, so the principles for responsible investment. Um, so, yeah, delighted to be able to talk to him next week about probably biodiversity and how it slots into DC pensions. 
Excellent. And then we going forward, we've got Richard Smith, who's going to be coming to chat to us about his dashboard tour and his yes. learnings from, from, from around Europe. And also we've got um, an old colleague of ours, uh, uh, Nico, uh, Tim Gosling, uh, yes. from People's Partnership. Um, so it'll be, 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 be a great chat um, with Tim. So as always, you can find us on your podcast platform of, po of, of choice and you can always get in touch at vfmpensions at gmail.com. And so thank you, Margaret. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really good. I'm, I'm sure the listeners will have enjoyed that. Amazing session. Thank you so much for um, sharing your experiences and, um, you know, giving us being very generous with your time. Mm. Pleasure. Uh, so until next time, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And Margaret. Margaret. Bye. <laughs>